We have a real treat for any basketball fans that might be listening. We have uh, before us today a really interesting book about basketball and beyond basketball, also a book about some of the most iconic basketball shoes or sneakers that have emerged over the years. The story told in a great book called A History of Basketball in 15 Sneakers. And the author of this book is Russ Bengston, who has written extensively for many, 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 many years uh, on on the sneaker and uh, has made contributions to all kinds of different uh, publications and uh, has talked with many, many uh, insiders of the sport uh, to put together this book that not only talks about the history of basketball, but the history of, in a sense, the evolution of the sneaker which in so many ways is uh, two stories beautifully intertwined. And uh, uh, it's a book that's beautiful to look at, really nicely put together. And I'm very excited to be able to uh, speak with its author, Russ Bankston, uh, for the next few minutes about A History of Basketball in 15 Sneakers. Russ Bankston, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thanks so much, Greg. I really appreciate it and really appreciate the introduction. Yeah, and it's a really nicely put together book. So help us understand uh, what came first, or is it impossible to say that first you became interested in sneakers and then became interested in the game of basketball itself? I mean, what exactly is your relationship here and, and the history of that? Well, I mean, I talk about it a little bit in the introduction, and, you know, part of the reason I ended up writing the book is because I couldn't untangle myself which one I got into first. Um, you know, I, I was kind of in the, in the prime age. I remember, you know, the first Air Jordan came out when I turned 14. Um, I very badly wanted that shoe, you know, and I, I became a Michael Jordan fan, and I was trying to figure out, like, okay, which one actually did come first? You know, I, I, I must have seen some of that uh, Jordan-Carolina game when he won the, you know, NCAA championship in 1982. Um, but a lot of my primary memories of him were in the NBA. So, um, you know, part of the reason the whole idea of the book came together was because these two stories have been one for me you know, almost my entire life. And as you say very well, there's there's almost no point in trying in trying to untangle or 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 I mean those, those two storylines, the story of basketball and the story of basketball shoes. It makes no sense to even try to separate them. So in your book, you're you're actually exploring them uh, in concord with each other, and it really works works great. You also say at one point that in some respects this book is a culmination of your whole life and uh, all that you have explored and, uh, and, and researched and studied and celebrated and collected over these many, many years. Just give our listeners some sense of how the basketball shoe has, in a sense, kind of enveloped your whole life. Yeah, I mean, I started working for Slam Magazine in the mid-90s, and one of the reasons I actually wanted to work for them, I I found, like, I saw the first issue they did browsing a newsstand in the in a supermarket, and, uh, you know, they had a, a separate sneaker section in the back, and that was something you wouldn't have seen in Sport or Sports Illustrated or um, the Sporting News, whoever else existed at the time. 
And the idea that not only was there a magazine dedicated just to basketball, which was already my favorite sport at that point, but actually covered the sneakers separately aside from it, um, you know, that was something I absolutely wanted to do. And then once I got to Slam, I ended up taking it, well, probably not taking it on myself. I'm sure it was put upon me at first, but, um, you know, taking it upon myself later to expand that sneaker coverage and try and do more because I knew players were getting stuff that, sorry, players were getting stuff you wouldn't see in stores. So it was convincing companies, look, send us a pair of those so we can shoot them and show them. You know, I don't think the companies then even realized what they had and how obsessed some people really were with like, you know, watching whether it was Michael Jordan or, or Penny Hardaway or Shaquille O'Neal or whoever it was and saying like, wait a minute, that shoe they're wearing is slightly different than the one I can go buy. And people actually wanted to see that stuff. So, you know, I, I think this was, and the idea behind the book even was, you know, this is something people have been fascinated with for decades. And while I feel like obviously there have been great books about basketball, there have been great books about sneakers, there haven't been as many that kind of tried to tell it as one story. Right, and I think you've done a great job of doing that, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful idea. How hard was it to come up with the 15 iconic sneakers that you explore in detail? Uh, or did that list come together pretty easily and without too much pain or discomfort? Um, it started easy and then it got rapidly more difficult. Um, Hmm. you know, this was a case where like, you know, the idea came first and then the title was really fast. It was like, Oh man, this is how I want to package this. And, you know, initially I was thinking more history of basketball in 10 sneakers. And I, I think maybe I thought about 12 and, when I started putting the list together, you know, it it starts out easy. I mean, obviously the Chuck Taylor takes up so much of the early history and then Adidas with the superstar and the air force one, the air Jordan. And on, once you get past that air Jordan one in 1985, like the sneaker, the basketball sneaker industry specifically just exploded. And there were so many brands and so many shoes and so many players. And, I realized pretty quickly that 10 was not going to get it done. I would miss like a decade and a half or I would have two that covered roughly the same time frame. So I had to open it up a little bit and I didn't want to get too crazy. You know, it's like you could have done 20 or 25, you know, pretty easily, but then you're talking about super short chapters and probably really like glossing over things. So, you know, 15 was kind of that, compromise sweet spot where it's like I can go a little more in depth with things and not feel like oh my god I'm missing you know this entire period explain to our listeners particularly for those that don't uh, follow this all that closely that when a given player's name is in a sense emblazoned on a sneaker or or that that is its name I mean, a a, a player like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or whoever. Uh, Explain the connection that there has been and the range of involvement in terms of the shaping, the crafting, 
the creation of that given sneaker. I mean, for instance, how much did Michael Jordan have to do with the specific design of the first Air Jordan, or did it simply bear his name? And and I think uh, what I gather from your book is that the answer to that question is complicated, and it kind of depends on which player we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it definitely depends. And, you know, it, to use Michael Jordan as that example, when the first Air Jordan came about, you know, a lot of it was mostly talking to him about like, okay, what, what are you going to be comfortable playing in? And, you know, the air force one was Nike's big air basketball shoe at the time. And like, it was really high and the sole was really thick and you're kind of high off the ground. And Jordan wanted something lower that he could sort of have a better feel in. And that led to them using a really small airbag in it. Like that was his primary, um, addition to that conversation you know later on i think with a lot of air jordans you had tinker hatfield become the designer starting with the three and his idea was to pull things out of jordan's life to use in a shoe so he would like go to jordan's house or talk to jordan about like what was the last car you bought you know what what are you into right now and like use some of those insights to build a shoe but then when you get as far as Kobe, and, and Kobe's kind of an, was kind of an outlier, where he was very, very, very specific and very, very, very involved in nearly every step of the way and like had very specific requests as far as both performance and appearance in these shoes. Like, um, you know, if, if you bought a, a Kobe shoe, especially later in his career with Nike, like you knew you were getting something that he had a say in every aspect of. Mm. I'm so glad that uh, your book has such a long historic view and that, for instance, the first chapter of your book really takes us essentially back to the birth of basketball back in the late 19th century with Dr. James Naismith and the emergence of what uh, now we sort of think of as the first iconic uh, basketball sneaker, uh, the Converse Chuck Taylor All-Star. And, uh, and there, right uh, on, on, on the first page, is this huge color photograph of, of one of these great shoes. It's just amazing to look at this and to think about where this industry will go in subsequent decades. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's like a Model T and a in a Ferrari or something. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's just uh, it really gives us a sense of the dramatic sweep that that we are talking about. But but I can tell that you are a student of history and you love exploring and remembering and sharing with us uh, the early days of of the sport and and this very first of the great basketball sneakers. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Chuck in particular, you know, it, it's obviously such a ubiquitous shoe. I mean, it feels like everyone either has or has had a pair of Chuck Taylors at some point in their life. And, you know, I felt like it was important just to talk about how it was a performance shoe. You know, I mean, you look at it now as kind of archaic and almost funny, but, you know, back then it was the shoe that everyone wanted. I mean, even when other brands started to sprout up and make their own similar canvas shoes, you know, Converse was valued as that sort of originator of 
you know, what that design was. And it, it, it's sort of, it's impressive that it stood for that long. Right. You know, until Adidas in the 60s built the first leather, you know, the first different leather basketball shoe. Converse had played with leather with the Chuck Taylor, but it was still essentially the same shoe. I was, as I read your book, was surprised to see how long it remained, uh, you know, kind of a major contender. And and we see wonderful photographs of, of some great basketball players in the relatively recent uh, past uh, wearing this, this, this iconic shoe. I know that you have, you know, special affection for uh, for several of the shoes that you talk about, and one of them being the Air Force Max. Just tell us real quick why mm-hmm. this especially grabbed your attention. Yeah, I mean, the Air Force Max was a shoe that Nike introduced in the early 90s, and the thing that stood out for me was it was designed as a shoe for Charles Barkley, who at that point was, you know, had gone from Philadelphia to Phoenix, um, become an MVP, was obviously like, an iconoclast in his own right. I, I don't know if I would go so far as to say the anti-Jordan, but, you know, certainly different from Michael Jordan. Um, but then was also adopted by the Fab Five, the Michigan class of freshmen in 1992, 1993, who made it to two straight title games and kind of flipped college basketball on its head. And, you know, the idea that a shoe like that could have these two sort of entirely separate basketball lives, you know, one intended and one that sort of was adopted. You know, I I think that really stood in for a lot of what sneakers have become now. You know, I I think prior to that, you had a lot of stuff that was created for a specific purpose, used for that purpose, primarily known for that purpose. And the Fab Five really – you know, flip things around. They were they were consumers as much as they were um, sort of signature level athletes, and they co-signed on this shoe, which you know really made it even more important than it was. Hmm. Well, that and other really interesting stories are told so well in your great book, A History of Basketball in 15 Sneakers, a wonderful gift for uh, anybody who is a fan of the game and fascinated with the long and rich history of, of the sneaker. This is published by Workman Publishing, the author Russ Bankston. Russ Bankston, congrats on a wonderful book, and thank you for being my morning show guest today. Thanks so much, Greg. Anytime. Appreciate it.